0: had a really tough time training in Rio uh, leading up to Nick Dempsey who went to the won a silver medal in Rio leading up to his his Olympics I felt um, a little bit lost and a little bit confused of what I was doing Um, I was supporting Nick as a training partner but that day-to-day stuff doesn't show the feelings you have and and the kind of wandering mind of Tom (laughs) I was a bit lost and uh, I was having a bit of a Rubbish time, and I actually, actually said to Nick at the time, I was like, Nick, I'm not, I'm not the man for the job to be your training partner for this game. So you need to work on your light winds, and I'm Mr. Strong winds. I'm good at, I'm good at the breeze. So um, I'm gonna probably, I, I, think it's probably best I tap out, and he agreed with me. Uh, I, I think this other guy, Kieran Martin, would, um, would be better suited to help him. And I was like, you guys do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go home. So I flew, flew straight to. And did the competition and uh, kind of at peace with my decision, and then um, managed to bust it out and win Princess Sophia Regatta. And that to me was like an end of an era in terms of being a training partner and uh, the start of another one. Start of me going, All right, this this next cycle's for me.
1: That was Tom Squires. This is Curtis Mansfield, and you're listening to the Hipster Dips podcast. For episode 15, I am joined by Team GB windsurfer Tom Squires. So often the bridesmaid of Olympic cycles for this year's Olympics, he is finally set to become the bride. Now Britain's number one windsurfer, having previously been ranked second at the 2016 Olympic trials, He has now been bestowed the honour of being named one of the first athletes selected for the now postponed Olympics in Tokyo for 2020. The now 2021 Olympics will most likely become a career highlight for Tom, but his CV is already impressive. He won the Princess Sophia Trophy in 2016, came second in the Weymouth Sailing World Cup in 2014 and had a ninth place finish at the World Champs in Sorrento, Australia in February 2020, just prior to the UK lockdowns from COVID. Oh, and did I mention he's also appeared on ITV's Ninja Warrior. I'm excited to chat with Tom as this podcast once again goes international. Tom joins me from his training camp in Portugal. Uh, In the meantime, please remember to check out the Instagram page, which is at hips underscore and underscore dips for all details on Tom and all of my previous guests. And I'm hoping he is now finished with his training for the day. So let's head over and get him on the podcast. Right, Tom, welcome to the pod. How are you doing?
0: Oh, good, thank you. All good, thank you. Um, Just enjoying uh being out in Portugal a little bit. Just about managed to make it out here. So, um
1: yeah. Yeah, in a fortunate position. I'm sat here in my bubble hat um, in the... <laughs> In the lovely cold off South England. Um, what's the weather like over there at the moment?
0: I've uh, had it pretty good actually. Um, we've like it's just fresh in the morning, super fresh. I go for some morning rides, and uh, it's about it's frosty all round, and then but it slowly warms up to about fifteen degrees, which is uh, which is great. I mean, lovely, yeah. Being in the UK over Christmas, that was uh, that was fresh.
1: <laughs> I'm sure it was. Um, so, so we start all these episodes by talking about. Um, the guest health in general, so how 2020s affected their health, and I'm always interested in that definition of health. So that's physical, mental, and social well-being. So just just talk a bit about how 2020 was for you, really.
0: Uh, the start of 2020, I I flew out to Australia for the World Championships. Um, we were we flew out actually within with masks in the first place before COVID because of the forest fires out there. Ah. Um, and then uh, we did our world championships out there and obviously heard about this COVID happens to unraveling. Um, and interestingly, I had a 12-hour stopover in China before flying to, on the way to Australia. And uh, we stopped off at the China Wall. So you, you can pay a little bit of money and a taxi driver takes you off to the, to the Great Wall of China. Uh, and it was literally about three days before they shut the border to China. Oh, wow. so, um, come, so we didn't, so we, we took it all, obviously at that point, we didn't no know how serious COVID was, but now, obviously now I'd be like, yeah, flying through Asia. Uh, yeah, did the world championships and um, finished ninth the, in Australia, in Sorrento, which is really nice, in Melbourne. And then we went, and then coming home, obviously we had to fly the mast again, and we were advised not to fly through Asia because of this COVID, which is, um, which no one really, still wasn't really catching on in the UK or, uh, even though I was advised to not fly through Asia, I still, threw Taiwan, still flew through Taiwan on the way home just because it was a cheaper flight and um, with masks on and everything like that and the airport was dead. And then obviously the seriousness of the situation unraveled and uh, obviously didn't realize how risky it was to do all that. And then, um, and then got locked down in the UK pretty shortly after that, which, was, um, which I locked down in Oxfordshire with my mum and dad. Which is interesting actually because mentally, mentally wise, and, and being home was really nice. I haven't, we didn't know whether we could, um, the Olympics were going to go ahead or not go ahead. So we was just, I was just training at home, all on land stuff. Did a lot, lot of windsurfing out in Australia. So uh, it wasn't too much of a priority to be on the water. It was just waiting to see what happened mm. at that point. Um, I haven't seen my parents like that for a long time. So I left home when I was 16, 17. I was doing a college course uh, when I was younger since, since and since then uh, I haven't been I haven't been at home for more than a couple of weeks um, so it was really nice to catch up with them in terms of my mental health that was really nice it's nice to see my mum dad and my sister um, I locked down with them like I feel my work day full of um, cycling uh, and online training and then when my parents come home try to Spent as much time as I, with them as I could. It was really nice to catch up with them. So that's the start of 2020 it was, was pretty positive. Uh, the Olympics being for Spain was pretty, obviously a shocker for everyone. I think um, that within the, the sailing community, because uh, Olympic windsurfing is governed by the British sailing team, and the British mm-hmm. sailing team were all on the comms and we are like one big family. There's so many different characters in the British sailing team. And it's really nice to talk through uh, obviously, the senior guys—some people are 35, 36—in the team who are going to the games, and obviously they're thinking about retiring. So, hearing the news that the Olympics wasn't going ahead for them was um, was a massive deal because they're ready to move yeah. on for the rest, of the, another part of their life. So, listening to them be calm and collective and um, very grown up about the situation was uh, good for us, uh, slightly younger guys. Um, First-time Olympians and uh, their calmness kind of brought calmness to me, and uh, for me, it was all about opportunity as well. My sailing and windsurfing level had slowly been getting better, and filling in the gaps in my sailing. And it almost was like, ah, oh. initially, I was like, great, I can, I got another year to really smash this out of the park. Yeah, um, and then it kind of said how daunting another year was. A year is a long time. Um,
1: but what, what's you, quite interesting uh, for you, sorry Tom, what's interesting for you is. I think you were one of the first people to be selected for Team GB. So, so you were, like, some sports, like boxers, were still in the middle of their qualification, but you'd had your Team GB spot sort of tied down for a little while before it was postponed. So you've had already had a long wait for the Olympics. And then you had to add a whole year on top of that as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was um, <laughs> it was a long time. Uh, the six, I think, I, got, I was bloody... Uh, it's difficult for me to know whether the like Team GB and British AM team didn't know whether they're going to reselect again. So there's a, there's a couple of weeks, a couple of months went by where we were like, okay, the Olympics have been postponed. That might be good news, bad news for me. Um, I think I thought good news, good opportunity for me to carry on with my um, peaking for the for another year, but. Uh, were we? Do we have to get reselected? And if, if that whole selection process went round again, I don't think I'd be in the situation I'd be was in prior for, for the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, it was incredibly hard, incredibly draining, and um, you can finally sit down, like, put, sit down, and review how to perform at the Olympics. Uh, you've got this year, t- this time to do it. And if you had to be reselected again. Um, the energy you've gone through to qualify and then to change your tactics to, um, winning or trying to win a medal at the games, um, that's really draining and, uh, unluckily, unluckily for the Israeli teams and the, um, Spanish teams they had to get reselected again. So I felt extremely privileged when the team said, uh, we're going to stick by what we said and we're going to mm. take the same athletes through for another year. Um, and I was like, oh, I can still, that allowed me to have an opportunity to be like, I will, Still, continue to try and pursue a medal at the games. Um, yeah, I felt I felt like that was really good, supportive as well. Um, very British thing, I thought.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, to them to stake their flag and be very happy. Their decision must must mean they mm-hmm. had a lot of faith in you and your and your teammates. So, once the Olympics had been postponed and you knew your place was safe um, for another year. What was it like towards the end of the year? So the cold weather rolled in. I'm sure normally you try and seek out warmer weather in our winter. Um, so how did, how did that affect you?
0: Um, training in Weymouth over the summer was probably one of the best training blocks, training camps I've ever done. Um, and we did manage to get away for... So basically the wind, the windsurfing board that's in the Olympics for 2021 is a... It's called the RSX windsurfer, um, and that's being updated after this games to the uh, uh, hydrofoiling um, IQ4. They're calling it, and th- this new gear is much quicker. It, it has a hydrofoil, so it's off the water rather than um, in the water. It's quite, it's quite a new game, so all the all the um, all my mates from windsurfing have all jumped ship onto that one because I've qualified. Um, so there's a very big pull towards me doing a bit of both. Um, mm-hmm trying to find a bit of funding for that for the future 2024 Olympics as well as concentrating on the 2020 Olympics so there's been so that's that kind of started in the summer but um I was extremely driven to to make the most of this extra year and I had a training partner Andy Brown and a Maltese windsurfer that was trying to qualify for the games at the time um uh, at and he um and he was pushing really hard to qualify I think um he's worked so hard in his life over the summer to try and qualify for Europeans that were this November so as a three, we're, we're busting out really good training uh, and finding time for stuff we've never found time before to do, which is like collect a uh, decent windsurfing kit and really review what, what makes the best windsurfing board, what makes the best fit, and understand it as well as just rather than just choosing something um, and rushing to the games with a, a set kit. We were like, t- like, every detail of the kit we're trying to go through and, and uh, be ready to perform not just at the Olympics, but also the extra world championships and European championships there are, um, later in the year. Um, so that was an incredible time. And then, uh, we tried to get, we got away to Portugal again. We managed to, we managed to find a bit of time to drive out and, um, make the most of kind of the, the autumn. And, uh, it's really hard to, to fly and drive anywhere, but with, with a bit of effort, we managed to get out and, um, get to the European Championships, which were in November, and lead up to it quite consistently. The different, the difficulties we have now is obviously lots of people like to fly home after ten days and fly back and forth because flights are so, were so cheap and yeah. so available, whereas that's uh, extremely restricted and really hard to do with COVID tests and planning. And basically stayed out in um, in Portugal for months beforehand. Just said we're going to pick up sticks and just base ourselves out here. And that's kind of what I've done again for this next some, next winter block.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, well, that's, that's interesting actually. And we're gonna get on to a little bit more about kind of how you train and perhaps the decisions you make before you train, et cetera, which would be quite interesting. Um, but just going back to the very start of that question when you mentioned coming back from Australia and going through China, et cetera, a little travel story of my own. I was actually in Cape Verde, um, which is famous for its kite surfing. Um, which I'm sure has yeah, yeah. some very loose ties with windsurfing, both involve wind and surfing. But yeah, uh, legendary nations. spot,
0: legendary spot. Yeah, exactly. sometimes yeah. the waves there can be insane.
1: Yeah, and they yeah. Uh, they were they were so insane actually. They had to cancel the kite surfing world champs because they were <laughs> too insane, apparently. Uh, but anyway, right. I was there. Uh, I think it was the first week of March um, uh, last year. So obviously that was just when COVID was bad, but it was very much confined to Asia. Um, and I had lots of flights cancelled, not due to COVID, they were cancelled due to poor African admin, basically. Um, and but luckily I made it back, and I made it back on like the Monday thinking everything's fine, I'm sure there's no issues. I think it was a Wednesday or the Thursday, something like that. that We had the national lockdown, so it was very much just Mm. coincidentally made it back just in time before I was sort of stranded in Cape Verde, but um. But yeah, amazing spot. And as you said, magical place. For, I'm sure for any sort of windsurfing or kite surfing or any water-based sport, pretty magical place.
0: Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to go there. It sounds incredible.
1: It was. Mm. But anyway, um, so we've been having these little ice-breaking games before um, we get into the serious stuff of these interviews, and they're always inspired by my guests. Uh, so this week. I considered going down the hort- uh, horticultural route because I know you trained as a gardener. Um, oh, <laughs> And I wanted to do a great uh, picture round, like a personal plant picture panel game sort of thing. But I realised that wouldn't really be great for the listener because they can't see the photos. So luckily, I'll let you off that one. There's no uh, plant-themed <laughs> quiz. Instead, I've gone for perhaps your second love, which is windsurfing. And we're going to play a little game called... Windy with a chance of rain. So, so basically, uh, the Met Office lists 10 different types of weather conditions, which they use for news reports. Uh, This isn't an exhaustive list. This is what the Met Office lists as the top 10 weather conditions. Uh, For example, I'll give you one, which is wind. Yeah. Uh, so you've got one minute to name as many of the 10 weather conditions as you can. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> go.
0: Windy, sunny, rainy, cloudy, uh, foggy, misty, um, gale force, winds, uh, storm, low pressure, high pressure. Um <laughs> sleet snow um
1: 20 seconds
0: hail <laughs> what else <laughs> we got in there um the flooding <laughs> i don't know that's the thing that's kind of weather a little bit um i think that's it uh,
1: i think we'll call time there uh, okay <laughs> I, quite, I, quite liked, <laughs> I quite liked your list to be honest i think it was better than theirs. Um, <laughs> You, can't. <laughs> you did get most of them. One. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I tested this on a few friends today and they both said gale force winds, which isn't on there. Um you allowed hurricane and tornado are the two types of winds. <laughs> then okay. you've got hail, which you said I think. Um uh, high humidity is listed. Oh, and then you've got in the UK,
0: <laughs> that must be rare.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, if you're getting tornadoes, you can have high humidity for UK. Uh, fog, rain, frost or ice, thunder and lightning, yeah. uh, snow and cloud uh, the 10 uh... that listed on the website. So you did pretty well. I'll be honest with you, I forgot my pen. So I didn't actually write down what you said. So <laughs> we'll, we'll call it we'll call it seven. Seven out of ten. I think mean, that's a good uh that's good going.
0: Yeah, I'm happy with that. I'm happy. Yeah, i take that. that. I think you have done yeah. worse
1: on the uh, picture plant round, but maybe next time. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, so back to the more serious uh, topics. Um obviously you mentioned you've been to Portugal a few times this year, which seems like a great place to train. Uh but in a normal year, what sort of split do you find you have between UK-based and foreign training?
0: Uh, we normally run like a, a regatta a month. I think a lot. I think a lot of um, as you get more experience, you do less less competitions or what say, it called regattas. Uh, we do uh, maybe one. Well, I, I do like I like to keep competitions high. I find but there's uh, two types of guys in uh, in this world, two types of guys, uh, guys and gals um be either a racer or a trainer and i think um there's uh, there's a trainer is really good at training and taking in everything one step at a time and learning things and breaking things down and slowly um not not worrying about winning all the time um worrying about like little things in themselves that can make them better and technique and um and the tactics of racing and all these little things that add up together and then there's a racer that that uh, is extremely good at turning on and racing well and of being ruthless desire to win all those things that make someone really good at racing and I like to tend I like to lean towards being a trainer and like to build up my little building blocks and and be self-reflective so I like to check in once a month with regattas to go right this is the sharp end of the stick and this is what I need to do I need to be ruthless I need to be more better at my starts and, and sharpen up all them racing skills so mm-hmm. um, with a regatta once a month, especially seeing as there aren't really any competitions in the UK, I tend to be away for about three out of four weeks of a month. So um, that's throughout the season. So the season for me starts in January uh, and runs through to about August. So those first seven, eight months are pretty intense. And then during, from August, Till November time is when I'm mainly based in the UK, oh, yeah. ready for the stormy sessions in the UK, <laughs> where it gets wet and wild, which is well, my yeah. favourite time of the year to be in the UK. Warm sea, warmish weather, and um, lots of wind. But this the season's quite long for for me. I think a lot. I think the more experienced sailors and people that do a lot of competitions tend to do one every couple of months, maybe three or four regattas a year, competitions a year.
1: Okay. And do you have many uh, UK based competitions or are they all abroad?
0: We do uh, two or three called national rankers. We have a spring yeah. series and an autumn series and these national rankers uh, rank you in the UK. And they also allow you to compete against uh, anyone from a junior level, national, youth level or a senior level if they're on the Olympic equipment. And that's for all sailing classes and it allows, uh, allows younger sailors to come races and us to get ranked in the uk i think i think that's super super important uk sport um always rate national events you have to like as any elite sport on the uk sport funding um should race nationally and i think it's a really good thing because it allows people to get into the sport and see the top and see and see the pathway through the program Mm. Um, yeah
1: Okay, so normally
0: one day is really light and the next day is absolutely honking. <laughs> That's like the UK changes like that, the weather.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen, um, I've been on enough coastal towns in my day to see days when I would not want to be anywhere near the sea and equally days and I'd love to be there. So I can imagine that for sure. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, born and raised in Oxfordshire. Um, and I'm no geography expert, but that's famous for not having much sea around it. Uh, so let's discuss your path into windsurfing.
0: It's a very landlocked uh, county, Oxfordshire. Yeah. Uh, but there's a there's a um, there's a reservoir called um, Farmore, and it's a uh, home of Oxford Sailing Club, uh, where lots of people go sailing and dinghy sailing. Or um, actually, have a really good uh, disabled um, sailability. Uh, group there as well, as well as um, a few windsurfers. And actually I was on holiday in Cornwall with my parents because my parents uh, love UK based holidays. So they will drive down to Cornwall from Oxford and um, uh, three or four times a year uh, for a week or so, or even just weekends. And um, and we, my dad bought an old windsurfer for 50, 50 quid. Uh, and we had no idea what we we got ourselves in for. And we thought it was a myth that you could turn it around and come back to the beach. <laughs> my sister and dad picked up pretty quickly actually I picked up uh my sister was better than me to start with um <laughs> which <laughs> was always good for uh motivation to get better uh and um and then, but then we heard that there's this Oxford sailing club and they're running like team 15 which is uh, anyone under 15 can join this join in this Thursday Tuesday night racing um and it wasn't it wasn't just about racing it's about having fun on the water jumping in and there's no wind and i mm-hmm. um, really lucky to have that right in the middle of the country and there's lots of um, Royal Yachting Association initiatives all, all on lakes around the UK and when you talk to like when I, when I finally got into racing racing with um, uh, national like not just national county to county racing uh, most people come from them lakes uh, it was very rare that you had a had a um, someone that learned to windsurf on the sea I think it's just because when you're young the lakes and reservoirs are so much safer yeah. uh, to initially just learn how to winter. Someone's always going to pick you up in a little boat sort of thing. Um, and I, I really enjoyed being at Farmall. I never knew you could race, to be honest. Um, I was just blasting up and down Farmall as much as, as much as I possibly could. My dad used to drop me off in the mornings, um, go to work, and then pick me up in the evenings. And I spent all day on the water. Um, I was lucky my parents allowed me the freedom to do that and uh, trust me I wasn't going to drown myself <laughs> uh, and I used to work a little bit at the at the club just to help out um, and my love for windsurfing was I, I wouldn't I wouldn't consider myself a sporty person but just yeah. being active and um, doing it uh, just being the freedom to go anywhere and go windsurf all day was so, so freeing and just it's something that I never had a connection with um with football or rugby or them sort of things you um you're allowed to do at school so that's quite quite cool I thought as a kid.
1: Yeah yeah um and yeah it's interesting actually I'll add you the stats on that how many windsurfers kind of come from the sea and how many come from the land because they would be mm. probably quite interesting to see yeah. Um so well I suppose before we get onto the injury side of it I think it'd be good to get a basis of exactly how the sport works so I imagine and obviously I've seen a bit and I've seen various clips of you competing and so on it's obviously it's a combination of speed and sort of accuracy and negotiating the yeah. the course laid out by the boys very similar from what I imagine well from what I've seen to other forms of sailing the difference being obviously on a board but it's I, it appears to be a lot closer related to sailing, as you've said, to than to surfing. So, just explain a bit about how like, the scoring works and how you how you compete and how you win, etc. There's
0: a there's lots of different types of windsurfing, uh, from wave sailing and like much like this, the surfing side of things to um, freestyle tricks and moves and jumps. And um, but the type of the Olympic windsurfing and the windsurfing that I do is is like you say very much around sailing around boys around the course and you have to negotiate uh, a strategy to basically get around the course as quickly as possible. But these boys are laid out in a specific specific way that makes you uh, race all areas of the wind. So if the wind's hitting you in the face, you have to race up to a mark uh, across the wind, downwind with the wind, and then uh, back to the start. And sometimes box courses, uh, sometimes just straight sp- straight line speed races um and then you, you kind of build up your knowledge of those courses They they put a flag up on the start boat and uh with this type of windsurfing we all start at the same time so sometimes there can be 150 um windsurfers normally around 100 and 100 men all racing on one start line followed by around about 100 women so there's lots of people on the race course and then part of the tactics and strategy is trying to keep it out of the way of everyone and, um, and race your race and well just be the first one around the course it's really s- simple as it gets but um obviously you can make it as complicated as you as uh, yacht sailing as you can as you as you where you kind of want to avoid all the complicated side of it yeah um, so simply just go around the race course as quickly as you can
1: okay so it's a lot of it. it's about interpreting that wind and obviously adjusting your sail accordingly um, exactly yeah and so that's where the real skill comes in obviously staying on the board is obviously a good start. Then once you're up there trying <laughs> to uh negotiate, yeah, the wind interpret that and okay, I think that makes a lot of sense actually in that that probably is interesting when we get on to the next part when we talk about injuries. Um now I imagine a lot of injuries would be to do with you getting pulled about by the wind. So I'm talking I'm thinking like muscle strains, um there's risks, obviously, like dislocation or like falling off and stuff like that, or obviously crashes between other boards. So, what sort of injuries do people pick up, and what have you picked up over the years? Uh,
0: I think there's there's a massive imbalance of, I think, like if you're a gym goer, you you genuinely try to not load your body up in too much in in a certain way. So, there's a lot. If you if you go to the gym, there's a lot of push exercises and a lot of pull exercises depending on like, especially from, in terms of pulling off with your back and then pushing with your back. And windsurfing and sailing is, is um, very much a pulling, pull dominant. You're pulling against the sail all the time. There's always yeah. one direction. Yeah. So you kind of, if you don't look after yourself, you kind of get very dominant in really strong back. Uh, but also it gives you a serious backache because you're so um, internally weak and on your front. You end up kind of being, start hunching over. And that sort of jazz and it's all pulling your arms and shoulders and you do get very strong it's kind of like rowing all the time you always got that you're always pulling so part of trying to look after yourself is trying to um like in the gym straighten yourself back up trying to keep them core muscles strong uh, so so you're not so dominant at them pulling muscles i've ended up um i've got a stiff shoulder and i have to deal with that pretty much all the time um to the point where sometimes it stops me windsurfing, stops me doing anything. But I try and keep as much movement in it as as I can. Also, lots of crashes. So if you you can hurt yourself, you tend to crash. Not just in the racing side of things, but when I'm out having fun on a on just a normal windsurfer, just blasting up and down, um, you can you can catch yourself and, and cut yourself, and you end up you end up um, slicing and dicing yourself. I ended up kite surfing actually, slicing my uh, a vein under my arm so the board flipped over and the fin hit me in the armpit mm. and <laughs> threw my arm back and it ripped my pec muscle partial, a partial tear in the pec and uh, cut a vein in my armpit um, and th- and it's just uh, something so simple when you're traveling at pace on the water it's kind of like on a bike if you fall off it hurts luckily water doesn't hurt but if if the kick gets between you and the water then um, you end up hurting yourself cut some slices I also get real bad um, damage to my hands like blisters but like uh, blisters I have to show you a picture the blisters are sometimes crazy yeah. <laughs> especially oh, when you're in somewhere that. hot because <laughs> you hold on to something called a boom mm-hmm. and that that boom uh, is black so when you're somewhere like I did, we did a competition in Oman and Abu Dhabi and yeah. um because it's so humid um and so hot the boom's black and uh, you're literally touching it it's like touching a saucepan you're like trying to win set of this Boom is burning your hands. It strips off the all the skin off your fingers. Oh Jesus! Um, so you get a lot of skin wear because of the water. They get holes in your feet as well where they're soggy all the time. Um, for me as well, I have, I have like kn- knees. My knees um, give out on me a little bit now and again. We have a very good support team in the British team where um, if you get injured um, or you're starting to feel getting injured. Um, you can call up and try and explain what's going on, or you you can access a physio quite easily. But um, the trouble trouble with me and what I I just like to crack on and keep pushing, yeah, and pretend that you're not injured, and then you end up in a, in a sticky situation where you're explaining why you haven't spoke to them and why you're you can no longer move your arm, rather than just be sore.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we've all we've all been there. Uh, the classic: put it off, and it'll get better. And it very rarely does. Mm. Um my actual yeah. my only real experience of windsurfing personally was uh was a trip when I was about I think it was about eleven or twelve at the school. We went to Spain and we did all sorts of water sports, sailing, surfing, windsurfing. Yeah. Um well, my big memory was I was too weak to actually um, you know, obviously I don't know the technical term is, but the the sail and that boom is attached to the board by like a piece of string. I don't know yeah. what the term for that piece of <laughs> string, I'm not sure. I'll pull. <laughs> I'll pull, there you go. Uh, and I was too weak to pull it like, properly. So basically, I was still on the board for ages, couldn't actually pull the sail up to my hands, um, making it a pretty pointless venture, so I didn't go anywhere. Um, <laughs> my, the, my one big memory from that trip was how sharp everything is and how you, don't, you wouldn't necessarily think so. So obviously, underneath the surfboards, these fins, they're like razor sharp. Um, so <laughs> imagine how you can get serious injuries in that, because I got injuries just carrying it from the car, <laughs> or um, just trying, to yeah, trying to negotiate fins on the beach, and it's absolutely lethal. Um, and the little cuts, and obviously you're surrounded by salt water, so any any small cut or graze you get is just like pouring acid on it; it kills. Obviously, <laughs> I'm telling yeah. you, and I'm sure you're very much aware of how much that hurts. Yeah, um, so,
0: for, so, I think. The, so, sorry,
1: no, no, crack on, crack on.
0: I think for me, the the only real injury that I isn't isn't self-managed in terms of like forget a sore arm and just try and take it easy on that arm or or try and um yeah mainly that to be honest I try not to see anyone if I can because I like to just keep windsurfing um is my back my back is always or uh, ever since I was a kid so I had, MRI, I had an MRI scan on my back basically after world championships in Cadiz in south of Spain
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and the world championships It was nuking every day the like the strongest windiest event i've ever done in my life it was, it was i think it was 60 mile an hour winds pretty much every other day and in the days we did get lighter winds it was still um almost on that air force wind spectrum so so that so that was it was nuts it was a windiest we got anyway it was only six, 17 18 second world championships ever did ever done and um what it just kept breaking me down. Like I was like, my back's so sore, my back's so sore. And then um, I ended up having to crawl up Sitway one day and was like, I am, I'm, I can't move my lower back. So I ended up, finish, I managed to finish the regatta. I think most of the time as an athlete, you just push yourself. You just forget about the pain and uh, just keep pushing on until the, the, the game's done, until the competition's finished. Um, you, you have to find that drive in you and then you don't realise how serious it is until you stop. And then, yeah. uh, so I flew home and had an MRI scan. And I've got, um, I don't know what to call it, I don't know what to call it, um, degenerative or maybe degenerative or something about basically my spine was basically old man's spine. and right. had uh, all the cartridges worn off, all the lumps between two vertebrae. Um, and one of the jellies between your, my spine had cracked and all the jelly inside it had gone. So it's like two vertebrae were sitting on top of each other. Uh, and then from that point, I mean, when one of the physio guys come up to me, it was like, uh, you do realise it's going to change, change how you sell and how you act and how you feel day to day for the rest of your life? And I don't think until he said that, I realised how serious that was. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, but it comes and goes. And, was, and you're pretty naive when you're younger. Um, and uh, I had to, I, well, even now, it's constantly trying to manage that. Like sometimes I can't, like when I sleep, I can't lay on my side or back. So I have to, it's one of the things that you just kind of forget about, but you actually do spend a lot of time avoiding things that hurt your back. I get real bad sciatic pain in my legs and like numb legs and numb knees sometimes. So I have to be very conscious of that. That's probably the, the one thing I have to manage all the time
1: yeah and obviously, like you said you, you have the physiotherapy help and doctors help etc do you do a lot of self-management in terms of like you you a fan of like rolling or any um acupuncture anything like that you use uh
0: core exercises i think that's what helps me the most core exercises yeah i'm the sort of person that likes to wake up go windsurfing for many many hours and then come back in and then lay like a wet salmon on the floor afterwards and <laughs> not do any of that recovery stuff or core stuff but it's one of the things i've just got to keep on top of um mm. being proactive with that is is definitely key to me and the thing is when you're doing the trials at like olympic trials uh trying to qualify yourself all them little niggles are literally just have just somehow flare up just at the wrong time and you're like um and and that for me is just after getting through the trials was like I need to have more control of my body. I need to have more control of uh, how I feel day to day rather than just being absolutely sh- broken. Yeah. <laughs> be like, uh, I'm broken, but I've done as much recovery as I can to, for tomorrow to be as good as it was today. Rather than just enjoying things so much, you end up in a, a bit of a mess.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that, that, that's key. I mean, I think most athletes, professional, amateur, can contest to it's, it's so hard to do those little things. And you have to get into that routine. So I'm a bit like that. And I just did for years, I did no stretching, really no rolling, no real recovery stuff. And there's a great phrase I hear quite a lot called like prehab. So preparing, yeah. do do the rehab before you need to basically. So doing those rolling, doing that stretching, doing, seeing the physios, everything you can do to keep your body in good shape is better than having to fix it afterwards. Um, and I can beat, I can beat your diagnosis of uh, old man back. Um, I, mean, I was twelve, and I was diagnosed with um, what was it? Uh, I had a prepubescent girl's knees, which I think was a bit harsh. Uh, <laughs> and another medical professional described me as having childbearing hips, uh, which, <laughs> which is not when you're a teenage boy. So um, I've got you there, one one nil. Very um, <laughs> uh So. Yes, yeah, so I think mean that we can park sort of the injury side of windsurfing to to one side there. So, so what's your aim for Tokyo on the whole? Because from where I'm standing, and I've done my research, I don't think you're going there just to make up the numbers.
0: That's good. That's good. <laughs> That's <what my laughs> I don't think anyway. I. I hope I'm not. <laughs> it could happen, but uh, I've been uh, a little bit of trying this year, trying not to make that happen. It <laughs> would be nothing worse, I don't think. The thing is with Brits is that uh, they're so good at sport. Uh, going to the Olympics just to make up the numbers isn't really acceptable. No. I think that's kind of uh, anybody that's an elite athlete wouldn't, wouldn't like to be in that situation. They'd prefer to be, uh, uh, it, well, it's okay. I suppose if you're like, for me, I'm it's my first games, but I'm not uh, 16, 17 anymore. I, like, I really want to go there and do and do some damage. Um, Beddlings on the cards are my conditions. Windsurfing is so broad, the weather can change in Japan as well from no wind to extreme winds. Crazy onshore breeze with big waves, big swell. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. Everyone sees that picture of the great wave of Kangua Bay, you know, with the, the white water on the top of the wave and the two canoes are across the bottom. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've <laughs> seen that. It's a very famous Japanese painting. And um, that's, it. that's the bay we windsurf in. And we sail in. So it can get big. <laughs> Obviously, not tsunami style. But this, but hopefully not. But maybe. the, um, no, hopefully not, because that would be a be nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, but loads of, uh, what do they call them, they're not called hurricanes over there, they're called cyclones, aren't they? It's like, no, not cyclones, typhoons. Oh, typhoons. Typhoons. Yeah, typhoons. Uh, they all roll past. And we had a world championships there in the Olympic venue in 2017. And we had this um, typhoon roll through the day before. <laughs> the first day of racing of the world championships and i've honestly never seen like i says i said 101 knots which is 130 miles an hour winds on the weather forecast and we're like oh man i want to see this there's going to pass through in the night and in the morning of racing it was it dropped off a little bit but we're cycling to the club on day one and i've never seen it so windy in my life I, like you'd hold your bike up and you'd lift it up and you know when the wind just blows something like a flag you're holding yeah. your bike and it's blowing like a flag i couldn't believe <laughs> how windy it was so you can get pretty nuts there um and i love the strong winds i I'm, that's my favorite favorite condition obviously not quite that windy i'd be a bit suicidal but um yeah I, I really enjoy the breeze and i'm pretty good at i've got really good chances in the breeze to do to medal I'm one of the fastest guys in the fleet, but i um, a bit sporadic with what I do around a race course, um, okay. which I find a lot of confidence in. And I think my coach and the people around me have confidence in me, and that's why I qualify for the games also. Um, and my Lightwinds, my Lightwinds need some works. I got like, like, I try and break down into tactics and tactics and strategy, a technique, and then other stuff like um, kit, all that thing, kit development and all that jazz and uh, my tactics and strategy and my technique in the lighter winds is much more hit and miss. Um, so I'm really focusing this year on that l- lighter winds, uh, trying to get my, my body in um, a really good state. Cause this RSX windsurfer is a bit of a beast and it takes a lot of fitness and, um, technique to keep it going. Uh, and I'm six for four. And, um, there's a lot of there's such a range of size of guys, um, that I have to compete against. The Swiss guy is tiny, he's about 60, 66, 67 kilos. Uh, and then on the heavier side, people some people get up to 80 kilos. So There's a big range in weight and that makes a huge difference in terms of how you float and wobble your way around the course and the lighter winds. Yeah. And if you're strong enough and big enough in the breeze. So there's a huge range of sizes and wind conditions. It's really hard to be um, good in everything. And my super strength is the breeze. So I'm really working on them, them lighter wind days. And um, I haven't consistently medaled. I haven't consistently I wouldn't say I have the best track record of being somebody that's going to be a favourite to win or a favourite to medal. But I'm really in the contention for being in the in the mix. Well, yeah,
1: that would that'd be fantastic. And I think one thing that's quite interesting uh, with windsurfing and people might not know this is there's only one representative from GB who goes. There's only one place. So. Um, you know, say athletics, uh, say 100 metres, you might have three or four British men competing in 100 metres. Um, but if you use only one spot, so four years ago, uh, well, four and a half years ago now, you were, you were the second best GB windsurfer, right? So you were, in most sports, you could have gone to the Olympics four years ago, but in windsurfing, you only, you just missed out. So, I mean, that means to put pressure on you now, does, do you find that put some pressure on you? Because the fact you're the only one, so you're the only, it's not, it's not like, oh, if I don't have a good day, maybe my teammate will do well or there's someone else. Like you got the eyes of the nation on you for that event.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and, all, like, it, it creates a whole different dynamic in our sport where all your mates and your training partners and people that are beating you or not beating you in terms of GB guys, um, they're probably the people you spend the most amount of time with and your great your best friends, live with them most of the year, uh, almost become... Comp- well, they become your competitors leading up to the games. Uh, so you have this really weird dynamic where you, you're super close to somebody, you want them to do as well as possible, you want the country to do well, but you also obviously want to qualify yourself for the games. Um, and the pressure pressure from that to qualify and then uh, do everyone proud as well. Like these guys you've been tussling with and gone through tough times with, you're like, uh, I've got to do this for them, I've got to do this for the country. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a it's a it's, it's a lot of pressure. I love it though. I, I don't I don't I'm pretty chilled out, and I, I don't I don't get too pet up about that sort of stuff. What will be will be, and uh, everything I will do from now to then is more important. Like knowing what I need to do, prioritizing, and then uh, going from there. And it doesn't matter what. Like right now, I have no no other British windsurfers to windsurf with because they've moved on to their twenty twenty four campaign. So it's just me on RSX. six. Uh, and he got these random like I did have a training partner but he was like I, I after Christmas um, I can't train with you because I want to move on move my campaign forwards my Olympic campaign um, and that's I don't know, like you get thrown lemons like that and you're like all right I'm training on my own but I'm going to make the most of it I'm going to prioritize I'm going to find a, a way to make the most of this because it's, this is so important for not just me but for other people to see windsurfing to, to potentially experience windsurfing if 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 I bring home a medal, and that's the sort of pressure that I thrive on. I, like, I want people to get into sport like windsurfing, um, which is a bit rogue, and not many people do, uh, and be kind of a bit of more in the headlight, and have funding as well. Because obviously medals, UK Sport want sailing to have medals, so they can fund them for the next cycle. So if I don't medal, then less people get to see or experience windsurfing. Hmm. That's probably what my biggest driver is, to be honest.
1: Well, that's great, yeah. And to have... I mean, it's funny, Pete, I had this discussion a few times, actually, with this idea of having intrinsic or extrinsic motivation. So some Mm. people are motivated purely on medals or trophies. But I mean, if you've you've got an internal drive, which in your case seems to be promoting the sport, um, achieving for yourself and just enjoying the sport, then I think that's much more powerful a driving aid than the extrinsic motivation, Mm. especially when it comes to a year like this, when, You've had that extrinsic motivation taken away so you haven't had the Olympics, you haven't had so many competitions you haven't had so many endorsements and stuff so yeah. you kind of had to rely a bit more on having that personal drive and if you've got that in abundance which you seem to have then that can only be a bonus. Mm.
0: Yeah I, I think lots like sailing is a is a di- is a very alternative sport and there's lots of different characters like I said earlier and um, I, I, I had a bit of a chat to a girl. Uh, who's in the sailing team and she, her drivers are I want to go to the games um, I do anything I can in whatever sport to get to the Olympics because it's my dream it's dream of mine and um, anyone that's in my way it, like I'm not interested in and um, and I'm kind of sitting on the other side of the fence going when I started windsurfing I didn't get into windsurfing to race and then I've learned about racing and I've learned about the drive and I learned about the Olympics and I'm like this is, this is epic, this is beyond epic, like, I never thought I'd be the one to go to the games. There's always someone better than me. Like by the time I start, I started windsurfing, and the guy I was um, training with was um, when I got into racing was already double world champion at a ju- junior level. So, um, so I was like, a can Like this, this is way up my ramps. And then learning about yourself and going, that, that's probably one of the things I've got from sport and windsurfing is everything you learn about your is about yourself, your drivers, your anxiety to your the way you learn and um, that's so self-development like that is so important so when you go into the um when, I, when i'm done with olympics i have so many things i know about myself to know what i'm good at um and i hope other people get to experience that as well learning sport or like i consider myself a sporty person because i don't like to go out and uh I, i'm not i don't go watch football and go out and play football but um i'm like them um, sort of team sports but there's just so many different sports out there these days where you can just pick up and go you know what i enjoy this i enjoy rock climbing i enjoy um kite surfing windsurfing all these different options people kids people have it's um it's cool
1: mm. cool fantastic yeah and in a minute we're going to talk more about your plans beyond 2021 and perhaps your plans beyond windsurfing altogether but just just a couple of sort of Bog standard questions, really. First of all, what would you say has been the top two or three highlights from your windsurfing career?
0: Um, I think in 2016, I won Princess Sophia Regatta, which is quite a prestigious regatta in in, in the sailing world. It's based in Palma, Mallorca, and it's not necessarily the the winning the trophy and standing there with the trophy, although that's the picture I see in my mind, and I'm like super proud that I've achieved that. It's more about that I had a really tough time training in Rio uh, leading up to Nick Dempsey. who went to the, won a silver medal in Rio leading up to his, his Olympics. I felt um, a little bit lost and a little bit confused of what I was doing. Um, I was supporting Nick as a training partner but that day-to-day stuff doesn't show the feelings you have and, and the kind of wandering mind of Tom. <laughs> I was a bit lost. And uh, I was having a bit of a rubbish time, and I actually, actually said to Nick at the time, I was like, Nick, I'm not, I'm not the man for the job to be your training partner for this game. So you need to work on your light winds, and I'm Mr. Strong Winds. I'm good at, I'm good at the breeze, so um, I'm gonna probably, I, I think it's probably best I tap out. And he agreed with me. Uh, I, I think this other guy, Kieran Martin, would, um, would be better suited to help him. And I was like, you guys do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go home. So I flew, flew straight to. Palmer and did the competition, and uh, kind of that peace with my decision, and then um, managed to bust it out and win Princess Sophia Gata, and that to me was like an end of an era in terms of being a training partner and uh, the start of another one. Mm. The start of me going, all right, this 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 next cycle's for me. Um, that was quite quite a clear change for me. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy. I learned about what I what i can do what can like kind of a bit more having a voice going from being a young youngster who is was just, for just following someone around to being like i need to make decisions based on how i feel and what i'm looking forward to in the future
1: what about um so if if, if that's like the main highlight have you got another one to uh give me another one perhaps I
0: mean, call callum parents said so qualify for the olympics was pretty up there
1: <laughs> well yeah <laughs>
0: yeah yeah have you had
1: so one thing that always interests me is had they already had the stash event when you get handed your gb stash has that happened yet or has that happened later on
0: uh i think it's uh, it's not happened yet i've got one set that i did a photo shoot with to say I qualify for the olympics but um i think that suitcase is hiding around somewhere
1: yeah it's, it has
0: yeah. been released but it's not been allowed to give it they're not allowed to give it to us yet which is sad because uh, obviously like you want to give your parents a t-shirt and you want to uh we want to wear a kit now and again all sort of thing. But that's the whole reason they're
1: not giving it. To us. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You'll get a all dirty before the games at this rate.
0: Yeah,
1: that's it. That's it. Um okay, so uh I, before I get on to take on to what's next beyond the games, one little side note is I saw I saw you competed in Ninja Warrior on a ITV <laughs> show. <laughs> Tell me I did
0: and I, and I fluffed it. I fluffed it right up. <laughs> i'm was, I was still devastated i'm still devastated i was so i was so confident it's like my jam as well uh i mean kieran me and kieran who was martin the guy that i spoke to you about earlier who did the training for nick Dempsey, yeah. and was also and also probably the favorite to qualify this cycle me and him were doing it head-to-head and it was made to be a big deal and they come down to weymouth where we train in Portland harbor and they did we did a little promo little video for it and uh, we actually weren't allowed to do it we were told um the british same team um you haven't had a risk assessment this is this could be detrimental to your campaign if you hurt yourself doing this uh but by the time they told us off it's a bit late (laughs) and we already got through the selection stuff and we're off to Manchester for the actual tv show um i was so raring for it and uh, of course you're used to in competition of like crowds like not that windsurfing has many crowds because you're out to sea but uh the pressure people and all that jazz and I was so ready to go and then I really got through the got through the jumping jumping from pedestal to pedestal onto the it was basically a trampoline you had to jump and grab something and as I as I jumped for the trampoline my foot slipped between the trampoline and the edge <laughs> it caught me so then I went to jump and was like no can't reach <laughs> straight in the drink and you don't get another chance so you, you basically don't get to see the course before you do it so it's okay. very much um it's very much like you got one shot shot at it, and uh, and then my shot didn't work out so well.
1: Which is no. unfortunate.
0: but I've bloody well loved it, uh, and the hype for it and everything like that. Uh, I really thought I could nail it. I might have to get. my might have to give another go sometime and uh, redeem myself. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe uh,
1: post Olympics. Probably the <laughs> <your> best way <laughs> to have you back. It's uh, a
0: fun experience, though.
1: Yeah, my uh, my guest from episode. Uh, oh God, what was it? Episode. I think it was episode 5 I think it was um, maybe it was episode 6 uh, Simone Simone Mings who's a, a professional calisthenics athlete and she was on Ninja right. Warrior yeah, yeah. Um, she got to the final um, and she got as far as uh, I, honestly, I wasn't a big fan of the show back in the day but she got to the bit where it's like um, like a zigzag metal bit and you got to like crawl along and then you sort of climb yeah. up and along I think it's like the bit near the end she failed on that bit but but no, so that's, oh, that's, cool. that's my main main knowledge in Ninja Warrior, exhausted right there. Uh, so we'll, we'll move on but from that. But that, is, that, is, that is a pretty cool... A uh,
0: of people that messaged me and talked to me and were like, oh, God, you fluffed it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, stop. Yeah. Stop replaying Ninja Warrior. I can't <laughs> handle it.
1: <laughs> I right, slipped the uh, television producers like a 50 and so they don't put it on the air. the <laughs> Um, okay, so so yes, yeah, so I've alluded to this already, but what's the plan beyond uh, 2021? Um, I'm assuming you still plan to compete at Olympic level for more games to come. But then, So what's the plan regarding that? And then what's the plan beyond the Olympics altogether? Uh,
0: the Olympics, after Olympics, I think a lot of people, athletes, especially ones like me with less of an education than probably someone my age should have, is uh, you, you feel like it's a kind of cliff. And, you have, and there's a lot, there's, the UK sport have identified and the British Indian have identified that a lot of athletes feel like that. Um, but it's awfully scary. I loved gardening and horticulture. I wanted to be a groundsman. And um, I went to college and studied uh, horticulture and um, we did random things like hedge laying and uh, like stone-motion work and block paving, all these random skills, which uh, are very hands-on. I love being outside, I love being outdoors. And that's the reason why I think I love windsurfing and just being able to do stuff with your hands and create things, being quite creative. Um, and then I did a apprenticeship, a little, a little tiny little apprenticeship for Oxford Brookes University, uh, where I was just doing the grounds for them with the, their groundsman team. Uh, which was fantastic and they allowed me the freedom to go windsurfing and um but unfortunately in like 2010 I kind of was make or break whether I continued to do that or didn't finish my apprenticeship and go windsurfing so I didn't manage to finish it um as I've grown up I've kind of gone I love the social media side of things here and that's uh, and that's I find that creative as well I find creating I like making little videos for Instagram and stuff like that I think Nothing crazy, just, just interesting. So I'm trying to build a picture in my head of what if I was to stop windsurfing in six months' time after the Olympics, what would I do? And I think it's really a really tough time for an athlete because I just don't know where to start. Hmm. There's so many options, but also no options. It's like where am I starting at square one? It's a new chapter for sure, and uh, I don't know where it's going to take me. To be honest, I have to find that out. I think over over the next couple of years, because I'm gonna go for the next cycle in twenty twenty
1: four.
0: Yeah. Um on this new hydrofoiling windsurfer, which is seems to be really exciting. And the windsurfing community definitely resonates with hydrofoil windsurfing more than this the RSX. So it's exciting times for windsurfing. I'm gonna jump on board with that, but who knows where it will take me.
1: Well, yeah, do you think do you think there's enough support from uk sport and the team gb etc with athletes transitioning
0: i think it's hard for them to get through to athletes because you're so committed on meddling like uh, well firstly qualifying for the games and then med- and then trying to get med- olympic medal that like you don't know you, you don't. You don't always place that time or the energy. They're like, oh, you got, you got, we got a little bit of money. If you wanted to pursue something to f- personal development, and I'm like, oh, that's freaking great. But what, what can I, what can I spend that little bit of money on? Like, so, or, or people that will support me, that they would take me on a course or something like that. But you're like, what, what time? What we I gonna do with that time? I'm gonna, if I got that time, if I got that extra time, I'd put it straight back into my windsurfing. Mm. So it's really hard for them. I think athletes are so driven to finish what they started with their campaign that they don't want to think about it. They're going to ignore it until the last possible minute. Right. Yeah. Uh, what opportunities I have now? It's over. It's like a bit of a cliff. And I don't know what someone can do to stop you feeling like that. But because um, uh, if I go IQ foiling for 2020, Paris 2024, I'll be 33, 34. 33, 32? Like that. That's a pretty hard place to start a career. <laughs> Although, like, um, I don't know. We'll we shall see.
1: Yeah. If all yeah. else
0: fails, like I'd love to help out help out mates with with job jobs like all um, my friends from the groundsman days, just tick away with them and then try and find myself a little path through that. Or if I can, like, I'm, I'm trying to help people with social media pages and raise awareness of, of the, themselves in sport. Uh, if I can get into that as well, that'd be great. Because I, I hate seeing people who should be known, especially like sailors that are like multiple world championships, European champion sh- champions, um, not be known at all, or not not have the skills to be um not everybody loves social media. Not everyone's put time into it. But if I could help someone be like, look, uh, if, if you appreciate that and you, you feel like it's going to help you, I can help you with your social media and try and push you forwards. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to help people with that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And giving people a voice is quite quite important. It's something which I've enjoyed through these podcasts. There are several guests who, like you said, have a massive names in sport you know, world champions, European champions, British champions, but particularly in this country, our focus media wise is very much forced towards football, cricket and and rugby perhaps. And so many athletes are just unheard of really. So yeah, if you can get people a voice through right. social media, that's great. I have watched your your vlogs with um with Team G B when you spoke about your preparations for the Olympics and and yeah, I, I agree. I think you have got a bit of a knack for that sort of um I don't know what you call it but like presenter style so like you can have a bit of a bit of a laugh at what you're doing but I still get information yeah. across it's, it's it's hard to do to get that mix between like an like an entertaining video but also an interesting and um thought provoking sort of video
0: yeah it's quite hard i find with my social media it's very difficult to um for me to post about the grind um, because you just want to post about sunsets and crazy good sessions you've had, you know. Uh, and I, and, I tend, and it and it tends to flick towards the lifestyle side of things. Yeah. And these these TNGV vlogs, hopefully, I've got three more of them, uh, will allow me to push to, to show like kind of more of the grind, more athlete side of things. Because obviously social media, it's um it's it's windsurfers the people that follow me are windsurfers and windsurfers love to see windsurfing posts. If you post about the grind and like the fact that I seem to be constantly on the diet for um, <laughs> just being the right size for RSX windsurfing, uh, and the riding and the 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 hunger, the kind of like the preparation, food preparations, and all that jazz, people don't necessarily want to see on on in terms of my stuff. Um, so to be more to, to get it out there on Team GB and be like, this is the grind for win- for a windsurfer. This is actually the day of my life rather than being heavily biased towards just windsurfing is um it's cool it's cool i'm really ex- a good good little opportunity to think
1: well well yeah and, and, and i think mean, you're right i mean, people do enjoy the sunset and the the lovely lifestyle but equally i think a lot of people do want to know more information they do want to like there's a lot of misinformation out there and i've always said you want to get your information from the best source so if you want to eat like a professional athlete or train like a professional athlete then you need to learn it from them you don't want to learn from like uh, a celebrity or someone who's observed
0: making money making money from it yeah exactly
1: yeah you kind of want to learn from the source in this case you, if someone wants to learn how to have your physique or your abilities or whatever it is that you provide then they want to learn it from you not learn it from someone who's learned it from someone who learned it from you do you know what i mean it's getting it from the source is yeah. much better I totally agree with that. Um, Okay, so to finish, uh, because that time has come already, um, we always finish this off any other business. So it's a platform for you to talk about anything you want from the world of sport or the world on the whole. Um, Do you have anything in mind?
0: Um, I was thinking about, like, what I said earlier about different sports. and, And, like, I didn't really consider myself a sporty person there are avenues for you to find like your your jam in so many different ways and i think it's really really useful a skill as a person to um i suppose it's about finding them skills finding finding out who you, what you enjoy and uh, in an activity and uh, to have a good physique to be healthy might not necessarily um be where, what what you think it's going to be and uh, i'm, I'm I'm lucky enough to find like to do different things and my body, due to windsurfing and keeping fit, able to enjoy rock climbing and just go for a rock climb, just go for a run because my body allows me to, because I'm uh reasonably fit and reasonably healthy. Yeah. And I don't I don't like I don't know. That's probably one of them and it helps me so much mentally. Like one of my friends went for a walk yesterday. He was like, Oh I'm. So- Bit caught up in this COVID and in uh, sorry I don't know what to I don't know what to, to do or where to go I live in my own in an apartment and I was like I was like I ah, just go for a walk just have a little thing go for a walk put, put podcast on something listen to something uh, and he'd go in for a walk and come back and he was like god I feel so much better and if you find that little bit of peace in yourself mentally then go um, through a little bit of I don't know whether you call it sport or an activity or just a bit of like freshen up I find uh, windsurfing does that for me so much. Helps me so much. If I'm like in a hole and I go windsurfing, it normally I can normally understand myself a bit better, understand my situation I'm in and find a way out.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the links between physical health and mental health are well-established now in medicine. And um, therefore, the links between sport and in mental health is massively, there's massive correlation there as well. And I think when you look to that first lockdown, it's quite interesting. There was quite a big division across the country. So you had people who like me, who sort of have normally quite athletic and I'm sure the same for you, who threw themselves almost even more into sport because he, so I, I, work, I had quite a stressful job because I worked obviously in a COVID ward in a hospital. So it was quite a stressful day, nine to five, but then I would leave work yeah. and I go straight to the nearest park or outdoor space and just go for like an hour, two hour run in the in the forest or whatever, and that was like that was how I dealt with the pressure because I just I love that. So you say get a podcast on, get a get a get, some, get a good music or audio book going, just really enjoy that time. And and a lot of people do the same thing. So many people I saw breaking personal records, if it was running or cycling, um taking up a new activity, spending more time outside. uh But on the, on the flip side, there was a lot of people in this country who did the complete opposite. So. They did no sport. They did no exercise. They, they gained weight or they lost fitness or whatever it was. Um, so I, I think it's really key that we encourage people to to go down that, that first option of do more sport, do more exercise, because the effects it has on your mental and physical health is massive. And in a year when we've had, we faced a pandemic and we faced healthcare problems. Um, I think it can only be, there can be benefits to more people finding a sport they love. And as you said, and I totally agree with you. Football is the answer for everyone and team sports is the answer for everyone. And I think I, I agree that I think a lot of people think the word sport and the word football are um, unanimous together. They're, they're like, they're mutually exclusive and that's certainly not the case. Um, so I do enjoy rugby. I enjoy hockey, uh, swimming, loads of different sports, but you know, boxing's a Boxing is a sport. Gymnastics is a sport. You um, said windsurfing or surfing or jogging or power walking, uh, bowling, blood darts, whatever it is. There's so many different sports and activities. So if you find one that you enjoy and that, and that can have that profound effect on your mental and physical health, that can only be yeah. a positive.
0: Yeah, I, I totally get you know, that. That's so true. And interestingly, um, I'm not willing to preach about this because I'm, I'm a man, but... I've seen so many women cycling uh, and being active. Um, and I think it's changing. Like I know I'm not that old, I'm 27, but I can, I've seen so much of a change in people and, and women. I tend to see women falling out of sport at university age where, where, or leaving school where, or like people, the girls know, about looking good. And actually the most attractive thing for me to see in a girl is to go, uh, there's a girl doing activity in sport, and I can see I can see the change. There's been a change because there's so many more women out there um, doing sport and then like doing a bit of grinding and a bit of uh, triathlons and like challenging themselves, um, and that's that's great to see as well. I love to see the diversity in sport. Um, well, yeah, and there's been there's been a I massive
1: like. yeah, there's been a massive shift in um, what what we define as the ideal body, perhaps as well. So I mean, if you go back, yeah. we're, not, I mean, we're similar ages. So if you go back, uh, say, to when we were young kids, a lot of those, um, what's the word? Uh, conventionally attractive people, and those are people who's idolized like your Victoria Beckhams, perhaps. So that that's a very mm-hmm. slim, very skinny physique. Um, and I think if you fast forward to now, a lot of actors or actresses that are considered um, you idolize are people like um I think any examples off my head but you know is that more muscular physique that more athletic physique and when you look at, yeah. we look at we say the men's so, side of it like these big Hollywood actors from the men's side are people like Mark Warburg or the rock or there's that there's that Fitness, not 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 dieting and just being like slim and skinny. that actual fitness is right. quite encouraged, and then we, there's a yeah. whole lot of debate to be had about does it go too far the other way? And Maybe people have, you know, have issues because you're going too fitness based in the ideal body, etc. But I think it's much safer to have women wanting to gain muscle and gain strength and be stronger. I think that's a much safer message than be skinny. If you see what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's very limiting. I think, um, yes, yeah, about like like anyone, everyone says all the time, it's about being comfortable in your own body, isn't it? And not everyone can pull off the skinny or or even muscular. And it's um and it's like you don't have to be anything when you're doing sport. You don't. Oh, I'm not really strong enough for that. Yeah, you have to be strong enough to do that. You just give it a go. And so if you enjoy it, you know, if mm. you find a way, your body finds a way to like um winter if you're taught well or, or you know find the skills it's all skill based especially windsurfing and uh, like say rock climbing or um if running you know you might be a terrible runner but you can if you're the worst runner in the world i'm pretty sure you can eventually figure out how to get yourself going a little bit quicker bit by bit if you're enjoying it
1: yeah no and yeah. also don't don't judge yourself by other people's achievements so I remember back in the summers, a lot of people because I, I was running a lot, and people would go, oh, "How far did you run today?" And you go, "I did like a ten k," and they'll go, "Oh, I can only manage, you know, one k or five hundred meters, or I did a couple of minutes and had to walk." You go, "Yeah, that's still that's still fine. Like you haven't got to, yeah, it's not a race. Life, life's not a race. So you can just, you can, just be content in doing the best you can." And I watched a really powerful documentary recently called uh, Iron Cowboy. Um, I think it was called. All it was right. about this guy who did. Um, it's on. Uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime. So if you get a, a spare moment, it was, it was quite good. It's about this guy in America who did fifty Ironman triathlons in fifty days in fifty states. Oh, <laughs> holy cow! And I think the thing the thing people underestimate <laughs> in that is the fifty states. So never mind the endurance and the sporting side of it, like the, the the logistics of visiting That's fifty so states sad. in America yeah. when you have when you, when you spend like two-thirds of the day competing or running, etc., to then get from, like, Hawaii to Alaska in that same day is, is yeah. incredible. But anyway, um, the, the guy uh, – I forget his name now. Um, anyway, the guy who competed it, his uh, – I, I think it was his mum, she turned up for the last, like, five or ten races, and she ran the last 5K with him each time. And he says at the end, yeah. he goes, it's really important because – her achievement was just as good as mine because she couldn't run, you know, 500 meters before uh, this event. So she, she started training just to get up to 5k. So for her to run 5k for like 10 days in a row is an incredible achievement. And it's just as hard as mine to run my 50 Ironman uh, because it's just about knowing your level and pushing yourself, whether that be pushing yourself to Ironman triathlons or pushing yourself to, you know, a little jog or, up the stairs a few times wherever that pushing is that's that's the important thing and that's going to have all the same effects on mental physical social health everything
0: yeah i definitely resonate with that because uh like i said to you earlier i was never the one i was never the golden child to be one going to the games of winter i think that one guy uh, it was already that spot was already taken so it's kind of my own little my own little battle my own little um not doing 50 islands, but um, I was like, uh oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not what endorsing that." By the way, when you're <laughs> listening, don't don't That's try that. <laughs> uh, I was just like, "Oh, I, I really enjoy windsurfing. What can get me to the next little? What can make me my, my my turns and my my jumps or the or just even cruising speed going as quickly as I can? When I was a kid, I was like, "Oh, what can make me do that quicker? Make make me do that faster? Be better at that." And obviously that turns into, when you start down, going down the line of performance, what makes me more efficient than that? What, um, h- how could I improve my strategies around the race course? Um, and I've rarely look in, I really look back, I really review, which isn't the best thing. And I rarely look at other people. I'm more of a doer and the, figuring out how you learn. I learn by doing. So if someone's, if there's an exercise going on and someone can do it, can do, I can turn around better than me. Uh, I'm not. I don't, I'm not the sort of person that looks at them and goes, "Ah." Oh. A lot of people are. A lot of people are visual learners and learn. Oh, okay, I see what he's doing there with his feet. I see what he's doing with his hands. I'm more like, all oh, right, I see what the goal is. That's gold standard. I'm going to go away and um, do that on my own for an hour and see if I can get to that stage and then learn it through like, it's kinesthetic learning or something, isn't it? When you like your hand mm-hmm. feel the feeling of that's good, and the feeling of that's good, that's better, that's better. Uh, and being into sport and activity allows me to go yeah this is uh, this is the way I learn and if I was to do anything in, that, in another job or in any other life or if I did something crazy that's how, I, how I'd learn quickest by doing stuff figuring it out
1: yeah and I think I mean, that's a really nice message actually to finish on so if, if anyone was listening and they wanted to get involved in sport and perhaps they like the sound of windsurfing how can they go about doing that
0: uh there's lots of Royal Yachting Association sailing clubs around the UK that um, get kids into windsurfing, get into sailing, get into kayaking, uh, jet boating, boat boats, stuff, anything, speed boats, racing. Uh, there's all these little clubs around the UK, Late, little lakes, um, you can go on the Royal Yachting Association website and you can find out where their training centers are and they can get your basic skills up. Uh, there's there's all, all around the coast as well. Um, the UK is really good in the water sports. Brits love being in the water. I mean, any beach beach holiday, holiday resort tends to have these sailing centers or windsurfing centers.
1: Um,
0: um have a look on the, the website.
1: Fantastic. And where can they find out more about you and uh, British sailing? Uh,
0: I'm, uh, yeah, I'm on the British Sailing Team, Sailing Team website. I have uh, Instagram called Squires Windsurf and, uh, Tom Squires Windsurfing on Facebook. And I think I have a Tom Squires windsurf face um, website. Um, following my journey to the Olympics, it's uh, not long away, and it's um, got a lot on. So uh, I try and uh, keep everyone informed of what I'm up to. And I've been like one of my things with social media is just being as honest and simple as possible. What I'm up to, and um, and hopefully show some of the challenges I get along the way.
1: Fantastic. Um, so I'll tag all those um, places in the in the Instagram post, which is at, at hips underscore and underscore dips. So check that out for more information on Tom and um, and yeah. You know, all I can do is to say thank you for coming on. I think it's been a great chat and uh, and all the best for the Olympics. All
0: right. Cheers. Thank you.
1: They say a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. I believe the years of being the nearly man off the windsurfing squad, waiting for his time in the sun. And when that time came, having it delayed by a global pandemic will only precipitate more success in the future. My overall impression from this chat with Tom and subsequent interactions is Tom is in a state of contentment with his life. Grateful that he gets to train for his sport full-time, and he's not fuelled by commercial or financial success. There to say Tom isn't a hard grafter, the time he puts into his training is quite remarkable, but it's inspiring he can adopt a relaxed persona when he's off the board. Tom has invited me down to Weymouth to teach me the basics of windsurfing when it's possible to meet up post-COVID restrictions, So I'm really looking forward to hopefully learning to at least stay upright on the board. He's a great lad, so remember to check out his socials, which is at Squires Windsurf, and he's also available on YouTube and particularly across the Team GB pages. I wish Tom all the best for the Olympic Games and hope he can bring a well-deserved medal home to Oxfordshire and inspire a nation to take to the water. All that leads me to say is stay rogue, stay open-minded, and as always, stay safe.